This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we look at the night on the ice and the NBA hardwood, a one game each in their respective playoffs. We have an NBA coach out after just one season. Garrett Cole takes the mound for the first time since being called out for using an illegal substance on the ball. And he faces one of the guys who called him out. And Garrett Cole also explains his weird answer to the simple yes-no question he was asked the other day about does he use an illegal substance. And it's a day that ends in why. So we have more from Green Bay Packers camp. Why not? Might as well just make it a daily occurrence. And this is absolutely nothing sports related. But I'll talk about it at some point. I discovered a place here in the area. It's been around for a while. Just got around to getting down there a couple times here in the past week and a half, and I love it. Love it. But I'm not going to tell you what that place is right now. Sorry, you have to wait. Anyway, all that stuff and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show. As always, our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush, my page at Rush Tony C, Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, drop me a line, send me a message, questions, comments, opinions. All are welcome. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. Get that app on your phone or tablet. Search WCMD Morning Rush. And every show we've ever done is up there. Go back and listen to it. Relive some old memories. Or, I don't know, whatever. Just check it out on the the free podcast. Podbean app. All right, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with Major League Baseball where the Nationals were in Tampa Bay looking for a split of their two-game series, and they went into extra innings. And Castro whoops this one to left field on the first pitch. Off the very top of the wall. Mercer will score easily. Castro in the second ahead of the throw. Into the 11th. The Nats have an 8-7 lead. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sports Net 9-7 the final. Nationals win with two runs in the top of the 11th inning. Ryan Zimmerman, the Z-Man, went yard twice for his 27th career multi-homer game. Juan Soto hit a two-run homer for the Nats. 
Elsewhere, the Red Hot Orioles, yes, I said it, the Red Hot Orioles, were cooled off uh, by the Mets 14-1 as they split that two-game set. Kevin Pillar and Billy McKinney each hit two home runs for the Mets. Matt Harvey took the loss for the Orioles. Now, he has faced his uh, former Mets team twice this season, and both times he has gotten blown up, allowing seven runs on eight hits in both games. Ryan Mountcastle drove in the only run for Baltimore. And in Pittsburgh, Justin Turner provided all the offense the Dodgers would need against the Pirates. Swinging a fly ball out to deep center field. Reynolds back on it to the warning track to the wall and gone. Home run for Justin Turner, his 10th of the year, and Los Angeles has a 1-0 lead. Swinging a high fly ball to left down the line where there's not a lot of room for Tom. He's running out of room. He leaps. It's gone. Off of his glove as he leapt for it. It's another home run for Justin Turner, his second tonight. And the Dodgers lead 2-1. Joe blocked the calls in the Pirates radio network. 2-1 the final. As the Dodgers take the first two of the three-game series, Justin Turner, two solo home runs. That's all the Dodgers needed because they got seven and a third scoreless innings from its bullpen after starter uh, Tony Gonsolin failed to get out of the second inning in his first start of the season. He just came off the injured list. Seven of the Pirates' first 12 batters reached base against Gonsolin, but they were only able to score once on an RBI single uh, from Gregory Polanco. Tyler Anderson pitched well for the Bucks, allowing just the two runs in six innings, but still suffered his fourth loss in his last five decisions. L.A. has now beaten Pittsburgh 12 straight times, uh, dating back to 2018. In high school baseball, Allegheny scored five runs in the first inning off of Isaac Uphole, and went on to beat Southern 5-1 in the 1A West Region 1 semifinals. Eli Wallace pitched seven innings of four-hit ball, and Alex Kennel had two hits and drove in two runs for the Campers, who will face Northern tomorrow for the 1A West Region title. Or Region 1 title, excuse me. The Huskies, I don't know, I guess it would be just a region, right? Because, yeah. The Huskies beat Mountain Ridge in five innings, 20-7, in the other region semifinal. Isaac Bittinger hit a grand slam, and Jake Rush had a three-run shot for Northern, which improved to 15-2. Braden Spire hit a two-run homer, and Jeff McKenzie a solo bomb for the Miners. Elsewhere, the region playoffs have been set in West Virginia. In AA Region 1, Frankfurt will tangle with North Marion. FHS will host Game 1 on Monday. Game two is Tuesday at North Marion, and game three, if necessary, back at Frankfurt on Wednesday. Uh, All games start at 5 o'clock. In uh, Class A Region 2, it'll be Moorfield and South Harrison, which uh, they'll have game one Monday at Moorfield. In high school softball, Fort Hill rallied from an 8-2 deficit with 16 unanswered runs to beat Northern 18-8 in their 1A West Region 1 semifinal. The Sentinels will take on top-seeded Allegheny tomorrow at Lions Field at uh, 4 o'clock. Elsewhere, just like baseball, the softball regionals are set in West Virginia. Kaiser will take on Oak Glen in the AA Region 1 Finals, Game 1 Monday 
at Kaiser at 4 o'clock. And that is uh, your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. All right, so a lot of stuff to get to, a lot of playoff action. Well, not really a lot. Actually, it was kind of a slow night. Like I said, one game each in the NBA and the NHL. In the NBA last night, Suns hosted the Nuggets. Phoenix trying to win the first two games of this series at home. The Nugs, as we talked about yesterday, had the newly crowned MVP, Nikola Jokic. But the Suns, they had Chris Paul. Paul spreads out the Suns' offense. Now starts to move inside. Now wants to shoot a three. Suzanne! CP for three. 99-73. The Suns on top. Chris Paul, 14 points, 15 assists. What a game. He shoots another three. Suzanne! We've seen this act, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. And it is fun to watch. Yes, it is. Timeout. Suns will take a timeout leading 102 to 75. The calls on Arizona Sports 98-7. The 11-time All-Star. The 36-year-old. The old man. The venerable one. 17 points. 15 assists. Zero turnovers for Chris Paul. As the Suns won going away 123 to 98. CP3's effort last night coming off a 21 point 11 assist performance in game one. Not bad for the old guy on the roster. After the game, uh, CP3 spoke with the guys uh, on TNT. Chris, I don't think anybody expected this type of outing from you guys tonight. But what you see tonight, how are we able to do it? Team effort once again. You know what I mean? We just came out. We knew how important this game was. Last series, it went one to one when we went back to LA. So we just wanted to maintain home court advantage and get the win. You dominated from start to finish. When people think about domination, they think of offensive numbers. How are you able to dominate your way? Just reading the game, man. Just finding open, picking my spots. We got an unbelievable team in the way that we got shooters. And D.A. been unbelievable. You know what I mean? Jokic named MVP rightfully so. The D.A. has been unbelievable for us, and we're going to keep feeding off of him. This atmosphere has been electric. Hey, this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. I, I'm impressed, Chris. Yeah. You guys are going back to Denver now. What do you expect when you head over there? Man, high-energy game. You know, uh, Joker get his MVP trophy probably before the game. Uh, I expect an exciting crowd, but we've been a really good road team all season long, so we'll get our rest and uh, try to get ready for uh, the mile high. Congratulations. Appreciate it, Chris. Uh, For the record, uh, I do not think that 36 is old, Uh, but by NBA standards, it kind of is. Devin Booker had 18 points, 10 rebounds for Phoenix. You heard uh, CP3 uh, mention DA, that's DeAndre Ayton. He had 15 and 10 so the Suns definitely getting everybody involved. Phoenix hit 18 three-pointers, tying a franchise playoff record that they just set in Game 6 against the Lakers in Round 1. Now, same couldn't be said for Denver. The Nugs got 24 points and 13 rebounds from Jokic, but not much from anybody else. Next highest scorers were Michael Porter Jr., And uh, Paul Millsap, who came off the bench, both only had 11. 
After the game, uh, Denver head coach Michael, don't call me Mike Malone, uh, getting right to the point. Uh, I saw one team that uh, wanted to be here and play with a purpose and urgency, uh, and one team that did not want to be here uh, and play with no urgency. Uh, and that's why we got our ass kicked. So there you go. That's pretty much, <laughs> that pretty much sets the table now, doesn't it? Uh, ESPN analyst Richard Jefferson on Malone's team after falling into an 0-2 hole. This is the second time that he stepped up on the podium and it said the first, after game one, he said that his team was extremely soft. And a lot of times coaches will do that to motivate their team for game two. But his team didn't have that motivation. You come out and you see, you know, you get Will Barton. So you get an injection of some energy and some shot making because ultimately the Denver Nuggets, when you're missing him, when you're missing Jamal Murray, you don't have a lot of firepower. You don't have a lot of room for error and when we talk about error then you look at michael uh, michael porter jr you look at the way monte morris played you look at the way Composo played they just did not have enough firepower this would be a tough series if the if the nuggets were at a hundred percent and without jamal murray with michael porter jr and i think this is going to be a really big story his health if he can't be healthy and you look at these numbers 24 points for 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 Jokic and 24 for everybody else. That's just going to be a lot for the Denver Nuggets to overcome if they can't get healthy. Game three in Denver, when Jokic raises that MVP trophy, the first trophy in franchise history, that is going to be the injection, hopefully, that they need. Give Michael Porter Jr. a couple of days to rest his back. Give Will Barton a couple more days to get his legs underneath them. And then that elevation that they're going to be playing with in Denver. Obviously, game three is the most important game, especially when you're down 2-0. But if they can't find juice, and with that crowd in Denver really giving them the love that they deserve, you know, that's the reason to be optimistic is mainly because of the energy, hopefully, that the crowd can bring. Uh, That game three will be tomorrow in Denver. And we say it all the time. uh, It's cliche. But if it wasn't true, it wouldn't be cliche. That it's not a series until somebody loses at home. So Phoenix gets the first two at their joint. And now Denver, opportunity to get the next two at their joint. Game three between the Nets and Bucks would be tonight in Milwaukee. Speaking of game threes, Brooklyn leads that series two games to none. They won the first two games at home. Bucks trying to bounce back from that 39-point beatdown in game two. Last night, Freddie Coleman says uh, there shouldn't be a whole lot of pressure on the Bucks. Because nobody expects them to win anyway. If you're the Bucks, whatever pressure is inherent on you, nobody believes you can get it done. Nobody believes in the next five games you're going to beat that Brooklyn Nets team four times. Which means that Giannis is still going to be around. I don't think this series goes past five. Don't be surprised if it's a sweep. And if the Nets win game three on Friday, the Bucks might mail it in in game four. Their bodies will be on the court in Milwaukee. Their minds may be on a golf course in Guam somewhere. If they get their brains beaten out in game three, they'll mail it in in game four. Remember I said that. But there's no pressure on Giannis now because everybody looks and says, you tried. You run into the Brooklyn Nets. You can only do so much. Just go out there and play basketball, Giannis. You're not going to beat this team anyway. Whatever pressure was on him going into the series has been completely reduced by the juggernaut that has been the Brooklyn Nets without James Harden. That's actually pretty messed up when you think about it. Ain't no pressure on you because you, you're not going to win anyway. <laughs> Might as well go out there and be loose and play like you got nothing to lose because nobody expects you to win anyway. 
if this series only goes four games, if the Nets sweep Milwaukee, uh, head coach Mike Budenholzer is done. He's he's finished. He's not coming back. I, maybe if it goes five. If the Bucks can win the next two games at home and even a series, which I don't think anybody expects, then maybe we're talking about a different story. If they can push it to six, seven games, maybe. But if the Bucs lose tonight, and if, if what Freddie said is true, they notice pack it in for game four, Boonholzer's done. Which would be the fifth head coaching vacancy because the fourth one came open uh, yesterday. The Pacers parting ways with head coach Nate, how do I pronounce his last name? Borkgren? Is that what it is? Nate Borkgren. I honestly, to tell you the truth, had no idea who Indiana's head coach was until this morning. No clue. He's done after just one season on the job. How about that for thank you very much, have a nice day. One year, and he is finished. Uh, Pacers Brass met with Borkren yesterday uh, to discuss his future with the team and decided there was none. The uh, disconnect, apparently, between him and the locker room was too much to overcome. Uh, Some say that uh, Borkren didn't have the proper temperament needed to deal with players and staff as the head coach. So just one year, he's finished. Indiana's uh, five-year playoff streak ended this season. Remember, they played the Wizards in the uh, play-in tournament, lost. So they failed to get the number eight seed. So their five-year playoff run finished. They had a losing record of 34-38. and So after just one season, Bjorkeren... Uh, unceremoniously bounced out of Indiana. With more on that, uh, Richard Jefferson and Zach Lowe was on the the jump yesterday. There is no sugarcoating it. This is embarrassing for the Pacers. The coach they fired, well, they lost to Miami. Then Miami gets within two games away in the championship. Now he has home court advantage. His team has home court advantage over the number one seed in the East in the Mm -hmm. second round. And you're already moving on. Look, there's some, I guess, admiration for just saying, hey, we didn't work. We're just going to cut bait now and move on. But this is an embarrassing turn of events for the Pacers. There's no question about it. Well, and this was, you saw that there was some disgruntled things going oh, on. Yeah. For sure. Players, other assistant coaches. It was a, it was more of a debacle than I think people are actually even letting on. Yes. I guess there's some truth to what Zach said there about maybe there's something admirable about just not just not stringing it out. Just, you know, just cutting bait. Just just moving on. Yeah, yeah, it was just one year and you know, you like to give a coach, you know, maybe two at least. To kind of figure things out. But apparently, and you heard the guys kind of allude to it there, there was more going on. More going on behind the scenes in that locker room in Indiana that we know. And that the Pacers were just like, all right, you know what? We tried one year. Whatever happened in this one season can't be fixed next season. So we're just moving on. Better to get out of a bad relationship early than hang, you know, than hang on and make matters worse, right? So now, as I mentioned, that is the fourth uh, NBA head coaching vacancy, uh, along with Boston, Orlando, and Portland. Technically, there's five 
because uh, Nate McMillan is still the interim head coach in Atlanta, but I have a feeling that once this season's over, they're going to take the interim tag off and just name him the head coach. So I guess, again, technically that job is open, but it won't be for long. Because McMillan, who Bjorkman actually replaced in Indiana, he'll get the he'll get the job. So four right now could be a fifth if the Bucks can at least make it a series uh, against the Nets, which is a tough task when you think about. It. I mean, come on, the Nets are so loaded. But after you know the past couple playoff flameouts by the Bucks, maybe enough is enough. All right, time for a break. News and weather coming up when we come back. Look at the Stanley Cup playoffs. One game on tap tonight, one series over. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. We're talking NBA playoffs uh, last segment. Uh, One thing uh, that I missed. Rudy Gobert, Utah Jazz. He was named the Defensive Player of the Year for the third time in the last four seasons. And, of course, he had that big block uh, the other night in the waning seconds to preserve their win over the Clippers. Right, Blocked a three-pointer chance to tie. So, uh, Rudy Gobert. Wasn't he was the one, right? Wasn't he the one going all the way back to uh, 2020? Wasn't he the first one to test positive for COVID in the NBA? That was Gobert, right? And then there were two uh, Utah players. But like this whole thing, well, the whole thing didn't get started with Gobert. He didn't cause the pandemic. But when we're talking about in the realm of sports, like that was the first big thing to drop, right? Gobert tested positive, and then after that, the NBA shut down, and then well, we know the rest. But Gobert, the DPOY, third time in four years. Uh, let me just say this. <clears throat> if you ever want to know how jacked up your house is, throw a party. All right? If you ever want to know how much stuff really needs to be done around your house, have people over. Because for the past, I don't know, week and a half or so, uh, we've been getting ready for my son's graduation party, which is a couple of days from now. And we don't, we don't do things small in our family, all right? We don't believe in, you know, small, quiet get-togethers. You know, a lot of times it's, it's high production, right? It's... <laughs> Which is actually uh, to a fault sometimes. So, as you're trying to get ready, you're having people over to the house. Sometimes in this situation, when you're talking about a graduation party, you got people coming over that's never been to your house before. So, you want to make a good impression, right? Get everything cleaned up. Get everything looking nice. Make sure the yard looks nice. You know, you'll be spending a lot of time in the yard playing games and whatnot. It's a graduation party, right? That's what you do at graduation parties. You go to a party, you eat, have a beverage, get a little cornhole in the backyard, right? A little badminton, some volleyball. That's what you do. 
So you got to make sure the house is decent. It looks good. It's it's presentable. So that's all we've been doing for the past week or so. Or actually, probably since he graduated, uh, two almost two weeks ago, which is hard to believe already. And then you realize, then you understand as you look around, my goodness, we have let a lot of things go. So if you ever want to know how much work you really need to do around your house and in your yard, have a party. Then you're forced to take inventory, and then it gets done. Anyway, uh, Stanley Cup playoffs last night, one game, and one game only. It was a game six between the Islanders and the Bruins. That game was on the Isle, or the island, and New York trying to close out the Bruins and move on to the uh, the semifinals to face the defending Stanley Cup champion Lightning, and that's exactly what the Islanders did. Tukaraska waits it in the trapezoid where he's allowed to play it, gave it away to Bailey in front for Mobilier, and Nelson Brown! That call, in case you couldn't tell, on the Islanders radio network, game was tied 1-1 after the first period. Then the Islanders, as they had done the entire series, exploded for three goals in the second stanza, two goals by Brock Nelson. And then after that, all that was left was the celebrating. Ten seconds to go. Bruins have it behind the Islander net. New York Saints is the champ by this Islander crowd. Letty on the far side, off the glass. Five seconds to go. Bruins hold it in behind the New York net with three. Richie on it. And the New York Islanders defeat the Boston Bruins by the final score of 6-2. to two. The series is over. They eliminate Boston in six, and they will head to the Stanley Cup semifinals for a second straight year where they'll meet the Tampa Bay Lightning once again. That's right. It's a rematch. Last year, the Lightning dispatched of the Islanders in six games to advance to the Stanley Cup final where they beat the Stars and won the Cup. And it was 4-2 in the third period. The Islanders tacked on a couple empty empty netters to make it a 6-2 final. Told you Brock Nelson scored twice. Kyle, uh, Kyle Palmieri, Travis Zajac, Ryan Pellick, and one of my favorite names in the game, Kyle Clutterbuck also scored for the Islanders, who again, uh, they move on to take on Tampa Bay. And as I mentioned, the Islanders, they just dominated the second period uh, in this series. They outscored the Bruins 11-3 to in the second period, which is amazing. That's just, that's hard to overcome, which obviously Boston could not. So the Islanders move on, and uh, what are they going to have for the Lightning? Here is, uh, well, new, actually, because remember, uh, any, you know, ESPN is, is, is dipping their toe back in the NHL water uh, starting next season. So there's going to be games on ESPN. There's going to be new analysts on ESPN. Uh, the Devils defenseman, P.K. Subban, who obviously isn't doing anything at this time of the year, uh, he's talked about this Islanders team against the Lightning. Lou Lamorello goes to work. He goes and picks up Pajot through free agency, Varlamov through free agency, obviously adds Green at the deadline last year, and then goes out and gets, you know, Travis Ajok, Paul Mary, ex-teammates of mine, and it's a perfect storm for the Islanders. 
You got a Stanley Cup Hall of Fame winning coach. You got all these players that are drafted, homegrown. You're able to manage the cap, and they're seeing the benefits of that. Not on only that, last year they play against the Tampa Bay Lightning, losing six games. They're a better team now. So I think that hockey fans should get excited for this series. It's going to be back and forth action. Uh, to make a pick, though, on, on Tampa Bay Lightning or the New York Islanders, how can you bet against the Tampa Bay Lightning defending yeah. Stanley Cup champions? You just can't. Actually, you can. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can. It should be a great series. It really should. And he's right. The Islanders are better than a team that lost to the Lightning in six games last year. But the Lightning, they're playing so well. Vasilevsky is the best goaltender left in the playoffs. But it should be a really good series. Another good series, for my money, the most entertaining series of the playoffs to date, Colorado and Vegas. The Knights, they are hosting the Avs tonight for game six of their series. Vegas, a chance to close things out. They lead the series three games to two. Remember, Colorado, they won the President's Trophy this year. They had the most points. They were the number one team in the entire league. And now they are one loss away from getting bounced in the second round. Capitals fans, you know how that feels. So, Vegas, and again, I said it before. I'll say it again. I'm rooting for Vegas because of Marc-Andre Fleury. I have a soft spot for Mark, Marc-Andre, excuse me, for his days in Pittsburgh. I'm rooting for the Knights. This is the time where I have to remind Capitals fans once again who the head coach of the New York Islanders is. His name is Barry Trotz. You remember him, right? You remember old Barry. Looks like a turtle with no neck. You remember Barry, the man who was behind the bench when the Capitals won their first and only Stanley Cup championship a couple years ago. Actually, more than a couple years ago now. You remember Trotz celebrating with the Capitals, Alex Ovechkin, all those. You remember Barry Trotz, the head coach who delivered the Capitals' very first Stanley Cup title and the coach who the Capitals let walk right out the door after winning that Stanley Cup title and signed with the Islanders. Since Barry Trotz left the Capitals, They have not won a playoff series yet. Think about that for a second. Think about that. And it's worth reminding because it's still one of the biggest bonehead things I've ever seen. A head coach delivers you your very first championship and you don't re-sign him because his contract was up after that year. He hands you a Stanley Cup, which is not the Stanley Cup, I'm sorry, is the hardest trophy to win. I'm sorry, it is. In the four major professional sports, the Stanley Cup is the most difficult trophy to win. And Barry Trotz, at what was it, 42, 43 years? The Capitals were in existence. That guy delivers your first title, and you don't re-up his contract. And you let him walk. And now guess what? Guess where he is? He is where the Capitals aren't. And that's still playing in the playoffs. Took the Islanders to the Stanley Cup semifinals last year. 
got them back to the Stanley Cup semifinals this year. Meanwhile, the Capitals are still looking for their first first round victory since he left. It's the curse of the trots. I say the Penguins have the curse of the flower because they haven't been the same since Marc-Andre Fleury left because they let him go. And now the Caps have the curse of the trots because they haven't been the same since winning the Cup and they let Barry Trotz, well, trot out the door and head to New York. One of those baffling things that I will never understand. How they let that guy walk at that time after what they just did. It's it's truly incredible. All right, one final break, and then back to wrap up our number one. Stick around, 102.1 FM. AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Reminder tonight, Nationals baseball right here on this very station. The Nats open a series against the Giants. Uh, Catch the game right here, pregame at uh, 635. And something that I guess apparently passes for news uh, LeBron James is changing his uniform number. I guess that's a big deal to some folks. Uh, starting next season, he's uh, changing from uh, number 23 to number 6. Uh, he wore number 6 when he was with the Heat. A couple years ago, he tried to do the same thing. He tried to switch to number 6 so he could pass number 23 to Anthony Davis after he joined the Lakers. Because Davis wore 23 with, uh, with Charlotte, right? But Nike put the kibosh on that because they were going to lose a ton of money if that switch was allowed. Because they already had some merch that was already produced. So uh, LeBron, he also wore number six uh, for Team USA. So there you go. I I don't know. I don't know. I guess it passes for news. I I, I struggle to find something that I, I could care less about at this particular point in time. So if you have a LeBron number 23, you can cash it in or throw it away, whatever, because he's wearing number six uh, next season. I saw this one story on the uh, in the Pittsburgh Trib. And I, I look, unless you're from the area, I highly doubt you even know what I'm talking about here. But uh, McBride Park in the neighborhood of Lincoln Place up around the Berg, they got a new deck hockey rink, which I know doesn't move the needle for most people. But to me, it does. Um, You know, Pittsburgh is a hockey hotbed. People love hockey up there. I talk about it on this show because I I want people to understand and love the game like I do. I still think, even to this day, that hockey gets you know a bad rap. That not many people give it a chance. It's a niche sport. If you have a team in the city where you live, you, chances are you like the game. If you live somewhere that does not have a team or a team around, then chances are you don't. That you don't follow it. We talk Penguins and Capitals here because we're kind of stuck in between the two of them. 
Uh, closest hockey team is probably in uh, uh, Johnstown, right? But I love the game. I love watching the game. And I like seeing stories like this because, you know, deck hockey, which in case you don't know what it is, it, it's basically a small rink, but instead of ice, it's the plastic, you know, all sports surface. It's just a hard plastic surface. And it's very popular in, in the Pittsburgh area. And the problem is, kids want to play, but the you know the deck hockey rinks are in short supply. You know, and I'm reading this story, and it just it, it takes me back to when I was a kid, because before this deck hockey rink was built in this McBride Park, kids had to play on tennis courts, which is what I did when I was a kid up in Southwest PA. There were there was an old tennis court behind the baseball field at my old middle school. And of course the nets were gone, the poles were it was just it was just the court and nothing else. And what was great about it was it was surrounded like most tennis courts, obviously, they're surrounded by a fence. So the balls can't go anywhere. And we would play deck hockey all the time. And I on the tennis court, this raggedy old tennis court. Where, by the way, I scored my only goal ever. Because I played deck hockey when I was in college. I've told the story on the show before. And I loved it. I, I never learned how to skate. One of the regrets uh, of my life to this point in my 50 years. You know, we talk about regrets in life. And when you look back at your life, whether you're, you know, 50, 60, 70, 40, 30, whatever, it's usually not the things that you've done that you regret. It's just things that you have not done. I never learned how to skate. Always wanted to. I never learned how to skate. I have friends who play ice hockey to this day who are my age, who are still grinding on the blades. I wish I would have learned. I never did. So that's why I played deck hockey. And it's a blast. And it is so much fun. I'm too old to play it now. There's a lot of running going on. Now, if you play deck hockey, you can either most leagues are either on foot or on rollerblades. Which, again, never learned how to skate. So I always played, you know, on foot. And it was just a blast. And I would love for something like that to come to this area. I would love it because I think people, they would buy into it. I really do. Didn't the Y have a uh, an ice rink at, at, at some point a long time ago? Did they play hockey? Was there a hockey league? That I'm sure, I don't know. Because I want to say shortly after I moved to this area, they took the rink out. So I don't know. I assume why else would you have an ice rink if you didn't play hockey on it? And that's that's how you that's how you make the game grow, right? There's obviously there's no shortage of baseball fields and football fields and basketball courts. But I think one great way to introduce a game like hockey would be to put up a deck hockey rink. I would love for something like that to come to this area. Introduce the game, especially at the younger level. Teach it to them. Learn it to learn. I just, I just said that right. I just yeah. I, learn it to them. Teach it to them and learn it to them. And, <laughs> and that's how you develop fans of the game. Anyway, so I'm happy for the kids up there uh, at Lincoln Place for getting their deck hockey. If it wasn't so daggone expensive, I might look into it myself. Those deck hockey rings are not cheap. Trust me, I know how much they cost. 
Maybe I can find some investors. Anyway, hour number one in the books, as I mentioned, coming up, some Garrett Cole talk, some Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packer talk, and I have discovered a place in the area that I've been to a couple times here recently, and I absolutely love it. Stick around for all that and more. Rush moves on. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. All right, uh, let's one more time this morning, rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And I do want to rock right now. Let's start with Major League Baseball, where the Nationals were in Tampa Bay looking for a split of their two-game series with the Rays, and they went into extra innings. And Castro whoops this one to left field on the first pitch. Off the very top of the wall. Mercer will score easily. Castro in the second ahead of the throw. Into the 11th. The Nats have an 8-7 lead. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sports Net, uh, 9-7 the final. Nationals plate two in the top of the 11th. Ryan Zimmerman, the Z-Man, went yard twice for his 27th career multi-homer game. Juan Soto hit a two-run homer for the Nats. Elsewhere, the Red Hot Orioles, yes, I said it, the Red Hot Orioles, they had won five of six. Uh, they were cooled off by the Mets 14-1 to as they split that two-game set. Kevin Pillar and uh, Billy McKinney each hit two home runs for New York. Matt Harvey took the L for the O's. He faced his former Mets team twice this season. Both times he's gotten blown up, allowing seven runs on eight hits in both games. Ryan Mountcastle drove in the only run for Baltimore. And in Pittsburgh, Justin Turner provided the only offense the Dodgers would need against the Pirates. Swinging a fly ball out to deep center field. Reynolds back on it to the warning track to the wall and gone. Home run for Justin Turner, his 10th of the year. And Los Angeles has a 1-0 lead. And swinging a high fly ball to left down the line where there's not a lot of room for Tom. He's running out of room. He leaps. It's gone. Off of his glove as he leapt for it. It's another home run for Justin Turner. His second tonight. And the Dodgers lead 2-1. to one. Joe Block, the call on the Pirates Radio Network. Two solo shots for Justin Turner. 2-1 the final as the Dodgers take the first two of the three-game series. L.A. got seven and a third scoreless innings from its bullpen after starter Tony Gonsolin failed to get out of the second inning in his first start of the season. He had just come off the injured list. Seven of the Pirates' first 12 batters reached base against Gonsolin, but they were only able to score once. That was an RBI single uh, from Gregory Polanco. Tyler Anderson pitched well for the Bucs, allowing just the two runs in six innings but still suffered his fourth loss in the last five decisions. Dodgers have now beaten the Bucs 12 straight times, uh, dating back to the 2018 season. In high school baseball, Allegheny scored five runs in the first inning off of Isaac Uphole and went on to beat Southern 5-1 in the 1A West Region 1 semifinals. Uh, Eli Wallace pitched seven innings of four-hit ball, and Alex Kennel had two hits and drove in two runs for the campers who will face Northern tomorrow for the 1A West title. The Huskies beat Mountain Ridge in five innings, 20-7, in the other region semifinal. Isaac Bittinger 
hit a grand slam, and Jake Rush had a three-run shot for Northern, which improved to 15-2. and Braden Spear, or Spire, hit a two-run homer, and Jeff McKenzie a solo bomb for the Miners. Elsewhere, the region playoffs have been set in West Virginia next week. In AA Region 1, Frankfurt will tangle with North Marion. FHS will host Game 1 on Monday. Uh, Game 2 will be at North Marion on Tuesday and Game 3 if necessary. Back at Frankfurt on Wednesday, all games start at 5 o'clock. In Class A Region 2, it'll be Moorfield and South Harrison with Game 1 Monday at Moorfield. In high school softball, Fort Hill rallied from an 8-2 deficit with 16 unanswered runs to beat Northern 18-8 in the 1A West Region 1 semifinal. The Sentinels will take on top-seeded Allegheny tomorrow at Lions Field at 4 o'clock. Elsewhere, just like baseball, the softball regionals are set in West Virginia. Kaiser will take on Oak Glen in the AA Region 1 Finals, Game 1 Monday at Kaiser. At 4 o'clock. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you uh, by the Caporelli Group. Uh, James checking in. We were talking uh, hockey at the end of last hour. The whole deck hockey thing. And I had mentioned that, you know, uh, the YMCA in Cumberland used to have an ice rink. Which I do believe was taken out shortly after I moved to the area. And I, I wondered if they actually, you know... They played hockey on said rink. Why would you have one? I know the figure skating, but I would assume you play hockey. James, who uh, went to BW, Bishop Walsh, said uh, BW played high school hockey on that rink, but not for long. He said maybe it was one season, perhaps late 90s, early 2000s. So there you go. I'm going to start the push to bring hockey back to the Cumberland Valley. Was it ever really here in the first place? I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you what's been here for a while. That I just recently discovered. And shame on me for not doing it sooner. I know this is going to come off as a free plug. It's not meant to be. But there's a place in Cumberland. I, I don't know when they open. It's been a while. But I've been there twice in, say, the past couple weeks, week and a half, two weeks. And I've fallen in love with the place. And it's the joint down there at the old uh, Footer Die Building, uh, Dig Deep Brewery. I've never been there before because, admittedly, I've never been like a craft beer, you know, IPA kind of guy. I am but a simple caveman. So I've always just grabbed whatever, whatever was closest, right? You know, Miller Lite, a little Bud Light, a little Borscht Light. You know, it's got to be light because yeah, I, I got you know, to watch my figure. <laughs> but it was always, you know, and I got that from my dad. My dad was never really picky about uh, his Pilsners, you know what I mean? It's, it was basically whatever was on sale he was drinking. And I would come home when I was in college and, and later and open up the downstairs refrigerator, because that's what you do as a dad. You, you have your, you know, your suds in the downstairs refrigerator. And I would open that fridge to some beers I had never heard of before in my life. And just, I mean, just some 
you know, like my dad was the only person I've ever met to drink Schlitz Light. You know what I mean? Jacob's Best. Stuff like that. Like, where did you get this stuff? Oh, well, it was only six bucks a case. (laughs) There's a reason why it was six bucks a case. But we drank it anyway. So that was always, that's where I got that from. I was always just your basic, you know, beer kind of guy. I go down to dig deep not too long ago. And my brother was in town for my son's graduation. And we stopped down there. I had never been. And my brother is from uh, the Richmond area. No, he's not from the Richmond. He lives in the Richmond area where there's like a brewery on every block. Like that's commonplace down down where he lives. So I wanted to take him there to kind of, you know, I don't know, compare notes. And again, myself, not a very big craft beer kind of guy. But I'm learning because I like the stuff. It's not, you know, it's not bad. And then yesterday I was invited down uh, to hang out for a couple, you know, for a couple sips. Uh, a group of guys were down there. And just, you know, if you've never been, they got tables outside. It was a nice, nice evening. Had a couple sips, hanging out right there in Cumberland, outside. It's a nice time, man. It was a nice time. You know, and I, and I actually enjoy, you know, trying out and sampling the different, you know, the different brews, which again, I was never into. But I think as I've got, I think a lot of people are like this, though, and it could be, you know, beverages. It could be food. It could, I think as as we get older, our, our our tastes change. You know what I mean? They change. One thing you may have liked ten years ago, you find you don't like that much anymore. And that goes with a lot of things. That can go with sports. That could go with you know my my taste in sports has changed over the past how many decades? You know, when I was a kid, growing up. Love playing baseball. Love playing football. Those were my two sports. That changed. I got older, then it was basketball. Then I fell in love with hockey. You know, back in the day, Steelers football, that was it for me. Like, you, as a kid, teenager, college, whatever, that was, you scheduled your entire weekend around when the Steelers were playing. That was it. Like, you never missed a game. That was an event. That was a happening in my household. The Steelers game's on, nothing else existed. But that's changed. Over the years, that's changed. Now, I'd rather watch a hockey game than a football game. That's just, you know, I'd rather watch a college football game than a professional football game. That's just, you know, taste change. Point being, now I go to a place like, you know, dig deep down the road, and I've just, I fall in love with it. Now, I will say this, uh, if you plan to <laughs> one mistake I made yesterday, if you plan to sit on side, or I'm sorry, you plan to sit outside, if you don't have the, you know, the natural dome coverage, like I don't, for the record, that's by choice, I, I, I shave my head, okay, I, I've not lost my hair. But if you don't have the proper natural coverage and you sit outside, you could get a little bit burnt like I did last night. Didn't really think about it. Didn't, really, didn't come prepared with, with the lotion. But anyway, I highly suggest it. If you're into that kind of stuff, uh, check it out. 
I see myself uh, going there several more times in the near future. And it was a good time hanging out. Look, the guys I was hanging out with, here's the thing. We talk about we are the product of our environment, right? We are, if, if you hang around certain people, if you know, the guys I was hanging out with, these guys are in shape, right? Uh, they're runners, they're bikers, not like Harley bikers, but, you know, mountain bikers. And a couple of them were like right around my age, one significantly younger. But they're in shape, right? And I'm not. Now, we've talked about that on the show before. And they're talking about running, and they're talking about riding bikes, and this, that, whatever. And hanging out with those dudes makes me want to get in shape, right? It makes me want to – we're the product of the people we hang out with. You hang around the right type of, the type of people, it influences how you go about your day-to-day life. I truly believe that. If you hang around the wrong people, you're going to make wrong decisions. You hang around the right people, you're going to make right decisions. That, I think that's just true without, you know, all throughout life. So if I want to get, ever get invited back to hang out with that group, I got to get in shape. Because I don't want to be the one guy. I don't want to be the guy, right? I don't want to be that guy. Like, I'm sitting around this table yesterday. All these guys are in shape. I'm looking like, you know all the weight that they have lost in their life. Fair enough. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be. There's always that one guy in the group that you look at and go, yeah, he's made all the wrong choices in life. I don't want to be that guy. (laughs) I don't want to be the wrong choice guy. Anyway, I have uh, told a couple people already. I don't talk about it now. I've talked about it before. You know, I've, I've struggled with my weight in the past for several years. Got to get back on the track, man. Got to get back on the track. Have to. Have to. I think after my son's graduation party this weekend, that's like the last big thing we have coming up for a while. Because that could throw you off, right? You know it. If you if you ever you know tried to lose weight or get in shape, there are events, there are things that come up that throw you off. Parties. It could be a graduation. It could be a wedding. It could be a, a trip. If you go somewhere for a weekend and you're tempted, it's, it throws you off. Like, the, the party's going to throw me off this weekend. But after that, not much is coming up. So maybe that, that's a perfect time to get focused and get dialed in uh, to get back on the, uh, you know, the weight loss train. We'll see. Anyway, I've gone completely off the rails, speaking of trains. Um, but I just, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Dig Deep Brewery. Um, shame on me for not going down to that place uh, sooner. All right, so we talked about this yesterday. Let's get back to sports here. The Garrett Cole situation, the situation in Major League Baseball where uh, the league is starting to crack down on pitchers using illegal substances on the baseballs to get a higher spin rate. And we talked about the homemade glue and something called Pelican Grip, and now everybody who follows sports knows what spider tack is. And Cole was one of the guys who were called out, who is suspected of using this sticky stuff to get a higher spin rate on his fastball. One guy who kind of alluded to it was Josh Donaldson of the Twins. Because a story leaked that there were, what, uh, four minor leaguers who were suspended for using illegal substances. And Donaldson, during an interview, kind of wondered out loud because after 
that information came out about the minor league suspensions, all of a sudden there were some pitchers whose spin rates dropped, one of which being Garrett Cole. So Donaldson kind of alluded to it during the interview like, oh, you know, what a coincidence that is. These guys get suspended, and then all of a sudden, you know, guys like Garrett Cole, their spin rates go down, so maybe they're a little bit scared that they might get busted. And then, of course, Garrett Cole was talked about, or he was asked about it the other day. We played the clip yesterday. Somebody asked Garrett Cole point blank, have you ever used spider tack on a baseball? Simple yes-no question. He didn't give a yes-no answer. He just he said, I don't know how to answer that. He kind of hem-hauled around. He danced around the question. Well, what you know, since all of that, <laughs> or after all of that, Cole makes his next start last night against none other <laughs> than Josh Donaldson and the Twins. How did that go? Well, everyone, you know, always says the right political thing to say, but, you, you know, just think of yourself. Don't, wouldn't you want to get out Donaldson after yeah. all that happened, please? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the 2-2. And the pitch cut on him. is high fastball out of the strike zone. So Donaldson strikes out for the second time. That was John Sterling on WFAN Cole. Struck out Donaldson twice. As a matter of fact, Donaldson only made contact once against Cole. That was a flyout in the sixth inning. During Donaldson's first at bat, Cole hit 100 miles per hour with a four-seam fastball. And Cole was asked after the game about, you know, how did it feel striking out Donaldson? You know, he's a former MVP, big cog in the lineup, two-hole, important spot for us to, you know, really try to attack and, you know, keep neutralized if we want to keep runs off the board. So, you know, just the satisfaction of executing those those pitches in that spot, put our team in a better position to win, it was enough. Cole went six innings last night, gave up two runs on five hits, struck out nine, with no walks. He got the win. He is now 7-3. and three. ERA drops to 2.31. As you would expect, he was asked once again about the substance issue, and he was asked, I guess he, he, he took the opportunity to clarify, or try to anyway, why he answered that yes-no question the way he did. I hesitated yesterday on the specificity of the question because I just don't think this is the forum to discuss, you know, those kinds of those kinds of things. Like I I, I mentioned in you know answer to Lindsay's question that there's appropriate time for players to discuss those things, and I'll keep it to that forum. And I think what Cole was saying here, if you try to read between the lines, is he is pretty much admitting that he does it. But I think he's also saying that a lot of other people do too. And a lot of people know about it. And if it's going to get, I don't know, for lack of a better word, fixed or adjusted, that it needs to happen amongst each other. Like he's not going to air that out to us. 
that answering that question during a press conference isn't the right place to address the issue. Like, hey, we're the ones involved. We're going to handle it our own way. You take that for what it's worth. I don't know if that's the proper way to do it. But I still think he's he's full of it a little bit. He just, he just doesn't want to come out and just answer the question. He doesn't, he doesn't want to come out and just flat out admit that he uses a substance on the baseball. And this whole thing is, to me, is a little bizarre. Because as you hear more people talk about it, and you hear more people, pitchers and hitters alike, discuss the issue, it almost seems like they don't care. Like, like they don't mind. Uh, the Mets' first baseman, Pete Alonzo, he homered against the Orioles last night, right? Here's his take on pitchers, you know, using an illegal substance on the ball and how Major League Baseball handles the baseballs. I don't want 99 slipping out of someone's hand because they didn't have enough feel for it. I think that the the biggest concern is that uh, Major League Baseball manipulates the baseballs year in and year out depending on the free agency class or guys being in an advanced uh, part of their arbitration. So I do think that's a big issue, um, the ball being different every single year. So <laughs> we're talking about pitchers breaking the rule and doctoring baseballs. Alonzo is actually putting it on Major League Baseball. He's saying that, if you, again, you read between the lines, that if Major League Baseball didn't mess with the baseballs each and every year, that maybe pitchers wouldn't have to take the extra step to get the extra advantage. And what he said there first, and we talked about this yesterday, hitters really, at first, they don't seem to mind because it gives the pitchers better control. And like he said there, you don't want a 99-mile-per-hour fastball getting away. If using this spider tack or the homemade glue or whatever gives the pitchers more control, all right, better that than taking a fastball off the forehead. And again, we've seen it three times this year, batters getting hit in the face with fastballs. And Pete is he's saying, hey, this is on baseball. Because they change the balls each and every year. It could depend on what he say, uh, the free agency class, or guys, you know, going into arbitration based on free agency and whatnot. And he said it's not speculation. He said it's a fact that Major League Baseball changes the ball each year for different reasons. The league, as you can imagine, did not comment on Alonso's charge. So, you know, take after what it's worth. So, to me, that's an interesting take that he's not so much worried about the pitchers using the substance. He is more concerned about baseball changing the balls each and every year. That's interesting. Former pitcher Al Leiter, remember old, good old Al? Uh, he gives his take uh, yesterday on ESPN Radio about the whole situation. They use something to get a grip on the baseball, period. 
So now, where are we? We're with analytics and data and technology that can identify all of the metrics that we know that now front offices, especially analytically driven front offices, they value this stuff, right? Spin rate, spin efficiency, and all of this stuff that we used to look at with an eyeball and say, yeah, they're by 11. Wow, that's a hell of a curveball. I don't know what the spin rate is, but dudes can't hit it, and it's got a big break. Dwight Gooden back in the day had a hell of a curveball. I don't know if we had some kind of track man data, but it showed it. So with that said, I don't understand why we can't have some sort of uniformity of knowing that nearly every pitcher that ever towed the rubber used something to get a better grip. And why it has to be this taboo, quiet, secret conversation is silly to me. So I was just saying, let's just let it all out. Like, the cat's out of the bag, man. The more we talk about it, the more people know. Right? That's just, it's no longer a secret. Let's quit hiding it. We know. And he, he's talking about going back to the days of Dwight Gooden and Burt Blylevin, who had nasty hooks. Like, this thing is so commonplace. Let's just get it out in the open and, and try to regulate it. That sounds like something else that I won't get into. Like, oh, it, it, to listen to these guys, it's like every single pitcher in the game does it. Like, 90% of the pitchers using illegal substance get a better grip on the ball. That's what it sounds like. So why not just let's just do it and try to make a uniform thing? Like, make hey, <laughs> there, there's a sponsorship for you. Spider Tack, the official sticky substance of Major League Baseball. Why not? This is like a baseball's dirty little secret that's finally coming out. That baseball has a rule that you can't doctor the baseball, but everybody breaks the rule. So why is it even a rule in the first place? I cannot wait to see how this continues down the road. More discussions about this. All right, stick around. News and weather coming up. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. I see uh, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network uh, putting on Twitter this morning that uh, former Pro Bowl running back Todd Gurley will visit the Ravens today. Uh, The former Rams and Falcons running back also recently visited uh, the Lions. And today he will visit the Ravens. Uh, Gurley, in case you don't know, is from Baltimore. Oh, by the way. Last season, Gurley in uh, 15 games with Atlanta, 678 yards rushing and nine touchdowns. The crazy thing about Gurley, he's only been in the league for six years. He's played with three teams already in six years. The Rams, or no, two teams, I'm sorry. The St. Louis thing crossed me up. Because if you look at his stats, first year it says St. Louis, then after that it says L.A. The Rams and the Falcons, and now he's looking for a third team. Can you imagine a backfield with Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, and Todd Gurley? 
<laughs> that would be amazing. It still wouldn't help their passing game, but my goodness. That would be one of the most stacked backfields we've ever seen, ever. The Lions would be interesting uh, for Gurley. But I think Baltimore would be even more interesting. Boy, putting it, we talk about weapons in the backfield. My goodness. Good luck stopping that run game. Now, again, will it help their passing game when they need to? I, no. And it's no guarantee that Gurley is going to go to the Ravens. So it's a little bit of a head-scratcher because their run game was already powerful. It's already the best in the league. And when you have teams like the Tennessee Titans going out and trading for a Julio Jones, you got the Ravens sitting there talking to guys to put more guys in the backfield. You know? I mean, it would be it would be fun to talk about. Those four guys, and again, you have to include Lamar Jackson because he is a terrific runner. It would be a heck of a backfield, but is that really what the Ravens need? But it doesn't hurt to kick the tires, right? It does not hurt to bring Gurley in, talk to him today, and see what happens. I wouldn't want to face that. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck with that backfield. Not only you have to worry about planning for Lamar Jackson and everything he brings, now you got to worry about the three-headed monster of Dobbins, Edwards, and potentially Todd Gurley. Uh, more football news. <laughs> As we mentioned earlier, it's a day that ends in Y, so let's talk about the Green Bay Packers. No, God! <laughs> No, God, please, no, no, no. Yes, it has to be done. That is a rule, it is an unwritten rule in the media that we have to talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers every single day for the rest of our lives. It's just the way it is. We got to talk about the Brooklyn Nets every day. We got to talk about the Packers and the the drama going on with Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, as we talked about yesterday, did not show up for the team's mandatory minicamp, which means that Jordan Love, who the Packers moved up the draft, which apparently kicked off all this drama, he's been getting most of the first team reps. First day of minicamp, he was not good at all. Second day of minicamp, a completely different story. Here's ESPN a Packers reporter Rob Demofsky. Obviously, this is a time where you know, I'm getting a lot of extremely... That's actually not... That's Jordan Love. That's Jordan Love. I hit the wrong button. We'll hear from Jordan after we hear from Rob. Yesterday was the worst we've seen him. Today was probably the best. It was a complete contrast to what we saw from day one of minicamp to day two. Yesterday, when throws were off the mark or just short and unwilling to go down the field, today they were right on target and they had zip on them. He completed uh, seven of ten passes in a two-minute drill, ended it with a touchdown pass in the final seconds of a game-simulated drill. 
He was so hot and so much on fire that at one point tight ends coach Justin Outen went over to him and used his play card and started fanning him off as if to pretend to cool him down. He was that hot. Now you heard Love say that he would be 100% ready to go if needed week one. A day like today might make the Packers think that they do have an opening day starter. But at this point, with another day of mini camp and a whole other summer of training camp ahead of them, they're not quite ready to say that. They know there's going to be good days and bad, but today was definitely one of the good ones. Yeah, let's not get crazy over two days of mini camp. Let's just let's not say <laughs> Jordan Love is not ready to take over for Aaron Rodgers after a one good day of mini camp. But it makes you think. It makes, you know, it makes the story even more interesting if Love can, you know, continue to do well in camp and over the summer, which might make the picture a bit clearer for the Packers on what to do with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Now, here is uh, Jordan Love. Obviously, this is a time where I'm getting a lot of extremely valuable reps that, you know, I might not have been getting in a normal circumstance. So, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm going to take it day by day. And, uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I'm here for. I'm, I was drafted here to play quarterback. So, uh, I'll definitely be ready week one. What's it like to be Jordan Love? And also when's the last time you had a conversation or any sort of communication with Aaron Rodgers? I've just been living my life, man. Obviously me and Aaron, we got a good relationship. Talked to him probably a week before I got out here. What kind of question is that? What's it like to be Jordan Love? I, what? What's it like to be you? I don't know. What, the, what, what is that? Now, the other question was fine about hearing from Aaron Rodgers, but I can't imagine that those two have a good relationship. I just can't. I cannot imagine that those two are buds. Since reportedly, love getting drafted is what started all this in the first place. So if Love keeps on playing well and practicing well, again, that might force the Packers' hands what to do with Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk about that next after this quick break. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. And we're talking about Jordan Love, who had a really good second day of mandatory minicamp. Mandatory for everybody except Aaron Rodgers. And if Love continues to have good practices as he gets the majority of the first team reps, that might make things a bit clearer for the Packers on what to do with Aaron Rodgers moving forward. For instance, Dan Orlovsky says, get rid of him. I think they trade him. I, 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 I just take Aaron Rodgers' words. I mean, this is, again, the, the 17 years in the NFL – and when Aaron Rodgers comes out and says, this is about the people, this is about the culture and the character, unless that person changes roles, and I mean their general manager, Brian Gutekunst, unless he changes roles, I don't see Aaron Rodgers going back. Aaron Rodgers has made a ton of money. He's accomplished a ton of stuff. He knows, Aaron knows he's got four or five years left. Like he has started to take care of his body for many years now, the way that Tom Brady is notoriously and the way that Drew Brees did. So him skipping a year to get ultimately what he wants three or four years elsewhere, I absolutely think would be something that he would entertain doing. I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is the type of guy that will and or can make the comments that he has made and then backtrack on those comments. So Dan says you trade him. 
Mike Sando of The Athletic says you might trade him, but maybe not quite yet. If he's willing to miss, it's a bad thing. But don't trade him and, and go along with it and make it worse by having play for someone else. If he's willing to miss, let him miss. Take a look at Jordan Love. Find out if he's going to be good enough to play. And then if you want to trade him after the season, you'll know what the draft order is. You'll know what you can actually get. You'll know if you need a quarterback because Jordan Love, he looks really promising. Shoot, maybe you trade Rodgers and get a, a really good player and a couple first-round picks or whatever, right? You, you can go about it that way. Maybe it doesn't have to be a top-five pick if, you, if Jordan Love's really good. gives you more flexibility. There's just a lot of discovery for them um, that they can find out while waiting and making the bet, like we're talking about, that he's not really going to sit out the whole year when he maybe only has a few years left in the league and can, might win a Super Bowl this year. They're good. If I'm the Packers, I call his bluff. Seriously. If I'm the Packers, and if, if I continue to be happy with what Jordan Love shows me, I and mean, we took him in the first round for a reason, I call Rodgers bluff. Don't have to trade him. Don't have to move him. Say, all right, Aaron, A.A. Ron, you don't like how things are here at the organization? You don't like our general manager? You want to sit? Go ahead, sit. Call his bluff. See what happens. If he wants to sit all year and waste a, you know, one of the final years of his Hall of Fame career, all right. Now, if Jordan Love does not continue to progress, then you got a problem. Because now you got a quarterback that can't get it done, and your Hall of Fame quarterback not with the team. But if I'm the Packers, I've had enough of this. I call I call Rodgers bluff. Say, all right, you want to sit the whole year? We're not trading you. We're not going to let you beat us with somebody else. You're going to sit and then see what happens. Put the ball in his court and see if he passes it back. Call the bluff, Packers. And I'm sure we'll have more to talk about the Packers tomorrow because, again, we must talk about the Packers and Aaron Rodgers every day. Uh, One final thing. You can count uh, Washington football team's Montez Sweat. Count him among those who won't be getting the COVID vaccine uh, anytime soon. The Washington Fighting Rivera's uh, brought in an expert to discuss the matter with Sweat and his teammates about the vaccine. And even after hearing the expert, uh, Sweat is like, nah, not not yet. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Rivera had, uh, they brought it in, I'll, I know I'll butcher this word, immune, immune, whatever. Immunizology, I can't say the word. He's all about immunization. A leading coronavirus vaccine researcher. I'm not going to try the word again. I'll embarrass myself even further. Answered questions about the vaccine, and Sweat was like, he's, I'm not a fan of it. And he said he won't get vaccinated until he gets more facts. He said, I'm not a fan of it at all. And he says, quote, I haven't caught COVID yet, so I don't see me treating COVID until I actually get COVID, end quote. Now, the NFL has been, you know, relaxing some restrictions for those who have been vaccinated, like, you know, don't have to wear masks. You don't have to get tested daily. Still, that's not enough for God. And I I get it. I understand it. A lot of folks are still kind of skeptical. They're still, they don't want to jump. They don't want to jump into the water until they see how deep it is. 
But if you don't get the vaccine, then you still have to wear a mask. You still have to get tested daily. And I guess if you're willing to put up with that, then all right, that's on you. Now, it doesn't say here if anybody else, I'm sure there are other Washington uh, teammates in the same corner as Sweat, but where Sweat here is quoted in this story. Rivera said that, uh, well, here you go. Rivera said that uh, Washington players are approaching uh, the 50% vaccination rate, while his staff and the rest of the employees in the building have all been vaccinated. So you, you can't force them to take it. You can like Rivera did, try to educate him with the immunologist. Ah, see, I tried it one more time. I can't say the word. Cannot say the word. Add that to the list of words that I simply cannot say, along with Giannis's last name. <laughs> All right, reminder, tonight, Washington Nationals baseball, the Nats, after splitting, uh, splitting that two-game series with the Rays, Take on the Giants. Pre-game, 635. Catch the game right here on this very station. You can catch Amanda Mangan and Tri-State today coming up next for the next two hours. Stick around for Amanda. I'll be back tomorrow morning. It's a funky Friday. A rush Friday feature tomorrow with Joe Shuda. The Altoona Curve general manager on tomorrow's show. Starts tomorrow at 6 a.m. sharp. See you then. Bye.